0: I'm Jonathan Aberman. Coming up on today's show. It really depends on transportation. We're expecting 1 million new jobs and 1.3 million new people in the next 20 years in the DC area.
1: Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. Welcome to What's Working in Washington, I'm Jonathan Aberman. So like many of you, I've been sitting here scratching my head trying to understand what's going on with Metro. I hear that it's underfunded, I hear that it's overfunded, I hear that labor costs are a problem, but I will hear from just about everybody that we can't have a successful economic growth in this region without Metro. All right, well, you got my attention, I'm listening. So I decided to bring into the studio to talk with me today, somebody who's a real expert on what's going on with Metro, Jason Stanford. He's the president of the Northern Virginia Transportation Alliance. And we're going to talk about these questions. I'm going to want to learn about why it is that Metro really does matter. If there in fact is a funding shortfall, why? And honestly, what we can all do about it. So let's have that conversation.
0: Jason, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you so much, Jonathan, for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to talking with uh, you and learning about what you're up to. The materials that you and your group have been presenting are very helpful. Tell us a bit about the organization first. What is the Northern Virginia Transportation Alliance exactly?
0: We are a nonprofit organization. We're a partnership of the business community, civic groups, individuals, And we're really focused on improving transportation in northern Virginia and really, at this point, the D.C. region. Uh, We've been around for more than 30 years, and we have a really great record of success in terms of uh, roadway improvements, transit improvements, bike and pedestrian. We really take that all of the above approach uh, and making sure that our region has the transportation infrastructure we need to meet the not just the demands today, but the growing demands of our region.
1: Now, um, explain to me, why why does transportation matter for the economic health of a region?
0: The reality is transportation, you know, it's what connects all of us. If you look at the, the way in which our region moves, we have about 80% of the trips in our region are taken via automobile, 7% of the trips are taken via transit, and the rest are walk and bike trips. And so when people, whether they have to get to work whether they have to go visit their family, get through, move throughout the region. It really depends on transportation. It really is absolutely critical to our region, where it's where companies decide to be, where people decide to live. It really matters so much, to, especially continuing to expand the capacity of that transportation system for our region, because we're expecting 1 million new jobs and 1.3 million new people in the next 20 years in the D.C. area.
1: Other than that, there's nothing to be concerned about, in other words. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So transportation matters. It, and I I often think about cities as being uh, an organic thing, you know, a living thing. And I look at transportation as the veins, the arteries, you know, the the ways that uh, people move around and, and live as citizens. Uh, I am interested, and I'm sure I'm going to touch on this with Metro, has COVID changed Forever, do you think how our arteries work, or how are how we should be looking at transportation? Perhaps.
0: No, COVID has definitely had a tremendous impact on our transportation system. There's no doubt about it. Um, but most of what you are seeing, especially in terms of lingering COVID effects, is really telework, and it it didn't so much as change things as accelerated previous trends. So, you know, I would give for the example, you know, transit ridership, Uh, you know, before the pandemic, as I mentioned before, about 7% of all the trips taken in the DC region were taken via our transit system. But of those 7%, you know, 5% of that around two thirds were commute trips, those were people going to and from work. Um, And that's really where you saw that biggest uh, change. And so when you had that dramatic increase in telework, That's why you see, you know, a much faster return to automobile congestion, to traffic, but not necessarily that swift return to transit. But the reality is, as our region continues to grow, we're going to see, you know, the continued use of all modes across our region, even with telework.
1: So that's, that's interesting to me. Let's, let's think about that some. So traffic has come back quicker or has come back quicker than public transport. Is that in some ways, because people use cars more than just going to work. Uh, so they do it for recreation. Is that part of the reason why people will leave the house? Is that what's well, going
0: Absolutely. In fact, only about 20% of all the trips taken in our region are work trips or commute trips. So the other 80% are not those work trips. But if you looked at the data before the pandemic, you know 25% of those work trips were uh, transit trips. And hmm. so when you look at it and see that that had, the work trips had a really outsized impact on the overall total number of transit trips that we saw in our region.
1: Is there also a socioeconomic reason, too, to people that are less economically fortunate to have to use transport more? Is that part of it as well, maybe?
0: Well, that that's an interesting point. And I've heard some people make that point. But I would say it's not necessarily backed up by the data. The hmm. National Capital Region does a, you know, regional transportation survey and a state of the commute survey, and it was actually really interesting to see um, both before the pandemic and after the pandemic, households with under sixty thousand dollars in household income uh, still had two thirds of the of the people in those households relied on automobiles to get to work. So it can actually be a situation where the vast majority of bus users are low-income residents in our region, but the vast majority of trips taken by low-income residents in our region are still taken via automobile.
1: So all those factors um, come into play and have resulted in us being much more likely to be in a traffic jam in maybe weird times of day than uh, to be on the metro, is what it sounds like. Uh, Is that a good way for us to, as we start to think about things, is that a good way to talk about where we are right now?
0: Yeah, well, exactly. You know, a lot of the trips that are taken in our region are driven by, you know, the growth of our region. They actually do, there's a, a National Capital Region Transportation Planning Board. They're the metropolitan planning organization for our region. And they look at all the different ways that people move. They do these regular surveys. They do the modeling based on the transportation you know, improvements that we put forward. But they do a a model that shows, you know, all if we do build all of these improvements, you know, how much more will people drive? And they say, you know, we get a 20% increase in population, we get a 15% increase in what they call vehicle miles traveled. But Mm. what's interesting is if you actually build nothing, you still get a 13% increase in vehicle miles traveled. And that's because again, a lot of it really is driven by that growth, having more people in our region.
1: So as we look at the region, now let's turn our attention to the question of the day, which is mm-hmm. uh, what I understand from what I've been but I've been reading is that Metro is rapidly moving towards an unsustainable situation financially. That's it appears to yeah. be that it's facing an existential risk. As it's been explained to me, it's a combination of not as many riders and high costs and a bad funding model. Other than that, it's 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 set up well for success. <laughs> <laughs> At least that's explained. So let's let's take advantage of the expertise and let's talk about what's your perspective in how would you frame the current situation with Metro and how is your organization, the um, Northern Virginia Transportation Alliance, thinking about it?
0: First of all, Jonathan, I think it's really important to keep in mind when we talk about this conversation to be very clear about something. And that's the fact that our region needs a functioning metro system and transit system to support that 1.3 million new people, 1 million new jobs. The reality is those things don't happen without a a functioning transit system for our region. And metro is that system. We we cannot uh, allow it to... Fall apart, And so I do just want to be very clear that, you know, when we think about this issue, the, the importance of metro to our region's economy can't be overstated.
1: Well, before we move on, I, I just want to make sure that I really emphasize or drill down on that point, which what you're telling me is that for the region to grow, I need metro. Now, I think that there is a presumption in some modeling that cities always have to have a downtown. And offices need to be downtown. And there is, I think, significant question whether or not that model is going to continue for the next 20, 30 or 40 years of 21st century. What is going to happen in downtown? Um, if, if downtown changed, if it became residential rather than offices, if offices became distributed around the edges rather than in the cities, is there still an argument for a metro
0: system? it's the, it's also what we have seen, you know, over decades is that density is a huge driver of, of ridership and transit ridership. Yes, commute trips are definitely, you know, for our region and the way our system was built, a major portion of that. Um, and in fact, I think it's interesting, at least for the US, the Washington DC system has always has been the second largest has the second highest ridership. Um, and if you look at the some of the land use, measures that we've put into place over the last few years, uh, over the next two decades, we're planning to, you know, nearly double the amount of density in high capacity transit corridors. So mm-hmm. that's where our housing is going. That's where our region is growing. And that's what I mean, and it's not by chance. It's not by happenstance. It is a function of the planning uh, put forward by our region. And also, you know, the economic development trends that, you know, that's where major businesses want to be, that's where, you know, young, talented workers want to be. And, you know, creating those sense of places around metro stops. yes, office buildings have typically been a major part of that, but each node around the various transit stations can also have some of their own, you know, uh, live, work, play functions as well. So um, I think we actually, as a region, have done a pretty good job, especially in Northern Virginia, of trying to build around those stations and to really create, you know, senses of community. I would just point to something like Reston or Tyson, right. you know, where we have done a lot of that work.
1: I mean, it seems to me um, that there's a much more clear correlation between uh, economic and um, population clustering in Virginia, particularly around the uh, the lines heading out towards uh, Dulles airport than I, I think in Maryland is, is that a fair, assessment
0: i i would agree with that i mean i think that maryland definitely has a lot more work that could be done to build around some of their metro stations
1: you've got me i all right we need metro so what's the current state of
0: metro when we talk about the current state of metro as you laid out there are a couple of different issues and i don't think we can recognize the current state of metro without thinking about the pandemic and the the impacts that we talked about the ridership impacts The reality is if you look at Metro Rail on an average weekday, there are two to 300,000 fewer trips per day on our system. And so, you know, that adds up, that's money that people could be paying in fares that is, you know, benefit for our region. Um, At the same time, you know, we are running higher than pre pandemic levels of service on both rail and bus at the moment. And so Um, You know, I think one of those challenges is obviously ridership getting, you know, some of that is getting workers back in the office, some of it is the continued growth and development of our region. But I do think we need to recognize the role that that has played. At the same time, there are some other factors that you know, are some of which are in our control. So inflation was not in our control. And everybody saw some inflationary impacts, you know, especially around that. 2022-2023 2022-2023 timeframe. Luckily, some of those inflationary issues have changed. Uh, Metro tends to track a lot of their inflation related to the consumer price index for work uh, clerical workers, and so we that is coming down, and that has a direct impact on their budget because their current collective bargaining agreement basically their workers are guaranteed to get at least a. Uh, a CPIW level increase. And so when that goes up, that directly affects them. So there's that piece as well. And then the final one is just during COVID, there was a lot of uncertainty. And so Metro made the decision. I disagreed with it at the time, and I think we're seeing the impacts of it. But we took our local subsidies for Metro that all the local governments paid, and we used one-time federal money to lower that amount. And especially because in Virginia and Maryland, we have a cap that says you can only increase it in a given year by 3%. So we lowered it for everybody. And then we the next year, we froze it. And now, you know, we're down $195 to $200 million a year uh, in funding that would be coming to Metro from local governments and state governments across our region that is not happening. I think those are kind of the three biggest factors that everyone agrees, the subsidy, the ridership and the inflation.
1: This is very useful information. Um, I'm here with Jason Stanford, president of the Northern Virginia Transportation Alliance. When we get back from our break, Jason, I want to go back to that, make sure that our listeners really understand how Metro is funded. And then I think I want to delve into a little bit more about the cost structure and maybe uh, some recommendations on some of the things that we should be thinking about to make sure that the metro is financeable for the foreseeable future. I'm here with Jason Stamper, Let's work in Washington. We'll be right back. And we're back in what's working in washington i'm jonathan aberman i'm joined today by jason stanford president of the northern virginia transportation alliance and we're talking about metro and trying to make sure it's sustainable for the future before the break jason we started to talk about this i want to make sure we complete it let's make sure our listeners understand how is metro funded right now
0: there's kind of two main buckets of funding that we have one is the jurisdictional subsidy That is money that uh, Maryland, Virginia, and D.C. all pay to support the regional transit system. Um, Traditionally, that's been put together by a formula. But in 2018, when we created dedicated capital funding, we basically put a cap on that subsidy saying that it can't grow by more than 3% in a given year. And if it does, that could jeopardize some of the dedicated money that Virginia has committed. And so um, basically we are uh, we have that jurisdictional subsidy. that's the main portion of funding per Metro. other than that, it is there's ridership revenue, so people paying fares and then there's non-ridership revenue, which is things from advertising to development on metro sites and you know everything in between. So that that one gets a little bit more complicated.
1: So as a practical matter, each of the three jurisdictions know what their portion of the operating expenses that they're prepared to pay is. They have a number. They have to figure out how to finance that number. So far, none of them have welched and said, I'm not going to provide that number. No. Uh, and they've agreed that they can't be asked to provide more than 3% more in any particular year of what they've committed. Mm-hmm. So their, so their contribution is fixed. Now it, on the other side, We've got a situation where your organization has taken a close look at labor costs and overhead costs. And from what I can see from the reports you've provided, our costs are out of whack compared to every meaningful major transportation network in the country. Am I reading the data right? Is that true?
0: Yeah, so I I think that that is a great point, which is, if you compare us using, there's the National Transit Database, and I do want to be clear on this point, that database is updated, you know, basically a year plus after the data is, you know, completed. So we, unfortunately, the most recent data that we have from that is from, you know, fiscal year 2022 which is, you know, we're now into 2024 and the numbers for 23 won't be ready until the end of this year. So I do want to flag that for people. But if you look at the costs that we have in our region, you know, they seem to be growing faster and outpacing some of the other legacy systems. The cost that we run for our service is higher. And then frankly, it's just also a situation of if you look at our current fiscal year, we're growing by 8.7%. Next fiscal year, if we get the funding that we need for Metro, they'll grow by 5.9%. The reality is there's just not a dedicated funding stream that can keep up with that level of funding. So I feel like this idea of the only thing we need for Metro is to fix it, is to get it a dedicated funding stream seems somewhat disingenuous because there's not a funding stream that can keep up with that continued level of growth. We have to talk about some of these cost issues.
1: Well, isn't dedicated funding stream, and, and and I should just say that politically, I, I tend to be much more on the side of Dems than ours, and and God, I, I support unions in general. But I have to ask, this conversation about dedicated funding stream, is this really just a, a coded for just the state governments in D.C. just need to pay more? Isn't that what they're really saying? Find a new tax revenue base, find it, but just yeah, whatever yeah. it costs to cost, just pay more. Isn't that, is that what they're saying? By saying dedicated source to be blunt. Well,
0: well, to be candid, yes, because if you look at, say, for example, the Virginia state funding, it's written into code, it's a certain percentage of all the transportation funding goes to Metro every year, and it increases with inflation. So, you know, they do have, in a sense, dedicated capital funding, they have dedicated operating funding. But it's about more than just whether that funding is dedicated is, is it sustainable based on the current level of cost growth? And you mentioned the labor piece. I do want to draw an important distinction here. If you look at the the collective bargaining agreement uh, for FY24, the increase in wages and and those costs are set at 4.6% based on the collective bargaining agreement. But the total cost increase for Metro is 8.7%. So it's not just a wage or, you know, a worker issue. It is is a part of a broader issue. And I think we need to do, honestly, more of a deep dive. One of the things that I hear from working with public officials in the region is that Metro, because they are so important to the region, sometimes there's, you know, a feeling that, well, what do they owe it to us? We should just make, you know, give them what they ask for. And so, for example, we did a working group. Through the Council of Governments this year, they got all of this. The chief, uh, you know, officers, administrative officers, and the DCCFO's office tried to do a deep dive, and Metro pushed back and didn't want to open the books for them. And they would sort of open it for the DCCFO's office, but not anybody else, and just have them look at it. And the DCCFO's office actually offered, "Hey, we'll take a look at this and help you out with cost cutting." And Metro said, "Sorry, <laughs> we're not, we're not interested in that." Okay, so I, I do think it's a bigger issue. Um, how, how
1: how is that how, how is that acceptable to I mean, how how are people not losing their how many people know that? I mean, I, I, I'm I'm hearing that I'll be honest, I'm not up on this issue and but I'm, I'm a business guy as well. And I sit here and this sounds to me like you know, this sounds to me like you got you gotta have a workout. You know, you gotta have a workout. If 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 people, you know, if taxpayers want to limit their exposure and they're telling elected officials they will limit their exposure The piggy banks that there needs to be a workout right it can't yeah, everybody's yeah. got to contribute something or am i'm missing something here
0: no you're you're absolutely right and i do think it is important to keep in mind too on the federal level that you know the there is federal capital money but there really isn't any federal operating money uh, for yeah. metro and so when we talk about everybody contributing you know i think the federal government definitely has a role to play many of the riders for our metro system were federal workers who are now not having to go into the office. They actually have smart, you know, trip benefits written into their budgets that they're not spending. And instead of, you know, maybe providing that money to metro or for the region to keep the system going, they're holding on to it. And so um, I think if they're not going to you know, ride the system in that way. Then they should at least provide support in some other fashion that would, you know, match what they have historically done.
1: This sounds more and more to me like um, what I would categorize as as a corporate workout. You know, I, I'm starting to think about say what New York City had to do when their finances were mess all those years ago with Felix Royton and uh, and I'm sure other cities have had to do. I mean, this seems to be crying out for
0: an all hands on deck um, effort, isn't it? No, absolutely. I think it definitely is. And and I do want to be clear, you know, to give uh the current management at Metro, you know, some credit uh, we have a new general manager uh that took over in 2020 late 2022, uh Randy Clark, uh who's brought, you know, tremendous energy and uh to this effort and to be honest with you, the Metro GM position is not one I would wish on my worst enemies. You know, it's a complicated mess having to get three jurisdictions and the federal government to agree on anything. So, you know, I think Randy has done a tremendous job of trying to get help right the ship. And so I do not I do want to give him credit and point out, for example, you know, they have a commitment for 50 million in ongoing cost savings that you know, that they have put forward, they do have a proposal to right size service and find some efficiencies and service that could save some money. Um, why we're waiting to this point to do it is, you know, a bit uh, blows my mind. But we are doing some of those things. And so I think that is definitely a step in the right direction. But to your point, um, you know, there are other jurisdictions, for example, in Boston that had, you know, uh, commissions or control uh, boards that evaluated these things that provided some level of oversight and cost. Because I do think that there is some disconnect sometimes between you know the interest of, of the Metro board and the direct interest of the system. Because at the end of the day, some of those board members, they don't have to write the checks. They can't raise taxes. They can't raise revenue. And if revenue and 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 available resources don't match what they have or need for the system, then they just go and ask for more money. And so at some point, Metro has to be put in a place where they have a certain amount of funding. This is what they have. And then they have to live within their means and make decisions based on that available funding. And so ultimately, we need to get to that place where we have dedicated funding, but we have the right oversight and management as well to manage that funding and make it sustainable for the long term
1: okay so we've got a minute left together jason let's spike the football can we fix metro as a region or not
0: i'm optimistic about it to be honest with you jonathan because i do think we are reaching that critical inflection point where people need the system they want it to work our the future of our region depends on it and i think that there is political will you know i'm primarily focused on virginia but I think there are legislators who understand the issues who are working on this right now down in Richmond, who have put in, you know, uh, budget amendments for the funding for addressing the uh, the 3% cap issue. And then there's also some study evaluations to continue to look at the cost issue, what we can do to cut costs, what we can do to do those costs moving forward. And frankly, in two years, uh, we're going to have this conversation about dedicated funding and every detail we can get between now and then is going to be extremely helpful in finding a final solution.
1: Well, I'm really pleased that you and the Northern Virginia Transportation Alliance and others are working in this issue. It's very important. And the last time that we've spent together has been very helpful to me. I I will tell you, I will do whatever I can to help you and your organization. This seems to be one of the most important things that we can all do as a region. So Jason Stanford from Northern Virginia Transportation Alliance, thanks for joining us on What's Working in Washington. It was great to have you.
0: Thank you, Jonathan.
1: <laughs> What's Working in Washington is a team effort. Our executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Our assistant producer is Anna DeGraff. The theme music you've been listening to is performed by the Sunbathers. And thanks to all of you for joining us on What's Working in Washington. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.